studies in the Law of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Scriptures, and we continue in Leviticus, the book literally meaning pertaining to Levi. Two real helpful chapters in Leviticus are chapters 18 and 19. Basically, they give us the application of, of the Ten Commandments. And so this morning, entitled the message, The Love of Obedience, um, basically meaning that um, obedience is the acid test of, of our love for God and our love for our neighbor, that the Lord doesn't leave us guessing as far as how we direct our love. And so we should see the Ten Commandments, actually, the passages as chapters on love. We often think of 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long and is kind, and so on. Uh, that's certainly a chapter on love, but the Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, passages on the Ten Commandments, direct our love toward God and direct our love toward our neighbors. In other words, how should we love the Lord? Well, having him only as our God. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth and not the use of idols that, that uh, insult him. By using his name wisely and, and uh, humbly and worshipfully and so on. And loving our neighbor, uh, we love our neighbor by honoring our father and mother, honoring those that are elderly, by telling the truth, by uh, not coveting their possessions and so on. And so chapters 18 and 19, interestingly, are chapters dealing with the moral law. Though Leviticus is full of ceremonial laws, as you know that in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, you have three kinds of laws. You have ceremonial, you have civil, and you have moral laws. Uh, the civil and ceremonial laws have retired, have had a, a uh, honorable uh, burial, if you will. In other words, we don't offer sacrifices anymore, an example of ceremonial laws. Christ has died once for all. Uh, an example of a civil law is that we, uh, we don't assemble armies anymore uh, in, among the people of God. And uh, we uh, don't execute, uh, we don't have capital crimes uh, this is not a, a theocracy. We're in, a, we're, in, we're in the governments of each country, though the church itself is a theocracy. We don't have the civil laws that we have a right to put people to death or to assemble armies. So those are just a couple examples of the ceremonial and civil laws that have passed. But the moral law is, is of universal application, moral meaning you know, right and wrong. It will always be wrong to lie. It will always be right to tell the truth. It will be all, always be uh, wrong to covet. It will always be right to uh, be content with that which the Lord has given us. And so you find in chapters 18 and 19 uh, some pretty thorough, when I say thorough, almost every commandment is, is uh, addressed, even the last one, uh, Coveting, and we'll look at that in just a moment. 
But there are two extremes that we need to be aware of when we speak about God's law or his moral law. The extremes of legalism and antinomianism. Legalism teaches that we can be saved by our good works, just simply that a man can be saved by what he can do. That's called legalism, and the scripture teaches the opposite. Salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned by man. We've already broken God's laws. We're already condemned. And God, in his mercy, gifted us with Christ. And uh, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful that when we, when we preach God's law or preach the good works that are the fruit of salvation, we have to be careful that we don't preach legalism as if by telling the truth and by uh, protecting, preserving our nature, our, our neighbor's uh, purity and so on, helping to facilitate it and so on, as if we're earning God's favor. No, out of love for the Lord, we obey him. As a result of his grace in our lives, we tell the truth. We want to reflect him. But in no way should we ever convey, though it can be uh, misunderstood, uh, when we do speak these things, we have to be, we have to be careful that we don't teach legalism as if and this is often the answer. If you ask someone, "How do you, you know, are you, do you have any hope of heaven?" And they'll say, "Well, yeah." And normally, the answer, the average answer, is, "I, I, I, I don't lie, or I don't cheat, or I don't murder. I, I, I'm living a good life." And so, in other words, they're saying, "I can favor, gain favor. I can obtain favor with God by what I can do, rather than Christ." In other words, they're bypassing Christ. They're saying, I don't need Christ. God will accept what I do to give me eternal life. And so that's legalism, and that's a danger. And yet so many are, have swallowed that poison, assuming that God is going to just simply reward them with heaven by what they have done. And then the other extreme is anti-law, antinomianism, which is we're no longer bound by God's laws because we're now free from our sin. In other words, uh, I'm, we're not hemmed in by the Ten Commandments any longer, and yet people often say, I just, I just uh, carry out love in my heart for people. But love, as, as, as we're taught, love is, is, um, uh, is, is got to be directed. It's not just, you know, someone can say, well, I love that person's wife. Well, I love her, but that's lust. And so we have to be careful to realize that love is discriminant in nature, and it has to be directed. How do I love God? Well, a person can say, well, I, I'll love God by building a totem pole, or I'll love God by uh, making an idol of him. And that is not love, because God tells us, no, that's not how I want to be loved. I want to be loved this way. I want to be the only God. And you say, well, isn't that arrogant? It's how often people will say, well, isn't that arrogant? Well, he is God, isn't he? God is sovereign. And if he is the only God, it's not arrogance, it's truthfulness to say, thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
In the, in the second commandment, he says, I don't want idols. They're made by human hands. They're metal. They're wood. It's an insult to me. Uh, and so we don't love God by making idols of him. We love God by worshiping him invisibly, and by praying, by preaching, by, by uh, you know, walking with him according to his word, and so on. So we love God. The first four commandments, we believe, are... Uh, the first table of the law deal with our relationship with God. How should we love God? And the last six commandments, we believe, are the second table of the law is how we should love our neighbor. Because remember, Jesus actually reduced the Ten Commandments to two. The man asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he didn't say, well, you know, thou shalt not lie or thou shalt you know, not take my name in vain. He said, love the Lord. You notice he, he reduced it to the motivation. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. In other words, he's saying that loving God wholeheartedly is the greatest commandment. But it's, it's actually re- reducing the four commandments. We love, why do we have no other gods? Because we love the Lord with all of our heart. Why do we not have idols? Why do we uh, use his name wisely and reverently. Why do we keep his day holy, sacred time? Because we love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And he tells us the second greatest commandment is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And interestingly, we read it together in Romans 13, but it's a quotation of Leviticus chapter 19. And so chapters 18 and 19 are really dealing with an application of the Ten Commandments. Again, we have to be careful that we aren't legalists when we preach on obedience. It's not our obedience that earns God's favor. Obedience is a show of love. Obedience is is a show of our submission to God. And then we're not antinomians in that we don't allow anything to hem us in. We have fences that keep us to know where our grass is, to know where our, our, our feeding ground is. And we don't like the proverbial cow, have our, our heads you know, outside the fence trying to eat the grass in another pasture. But God, is, in his wisdom, has given us fences to know uh, our boundaries and our liberty. How often we see those as boundaries. But there's liberty inside the fences. <laughs> Look at the fences. Oh, I don't like the boundaries, but look at all the grass inside that we often miss. And the Lord is saying, here's the grass when he teaches us the application of of the Ten Commandments. So God's law directs our love, and it's discriminant in nature. And so Leviticus is a neglected book because there are so many ceremonial laws that are recorded there. and People say, well, they're extinct now. Why do we need to read passages on the, the, the sacrifices and the priesthood and, and so on? Because there are, there are still illustrations that teach us spiritual truths in the sacrifices and priesthood and so on. But these are not ceremonial laws in chapters 18 and 19. They're moral laws. And so you have those in the negative and you have them in the positive, right? Now chapter 18 and verse 2 Notice 
you have kind of the bookend verses of chapters 18 and 19. Chapter 18, verse 2 says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. Now, if you know Scripture, or maybe, maybe this, you, you already put this in your mind, you tried to finish the verse. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In other words, the Lord's saying, I'm your Savior, I'm your Redeemer. And so everything I'm going to say here after this is, is law, is, is my will, is my word for you. And notice at the end of chapter 19, he actually, he actually finishes that statement in chapter 19, in verse 36, we read, uh, I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And notice what he says in the last verse, therefore, don't miss the therefore. He's saying, I'm sovereign over your life. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. And by the way, I am the Lord and I am the Lord your God are found 22 times in chapters 22, uh, 18 and 19. 22 times, either or, but put together. What is the Lord saying? I am God, you're man. I'm the creator and you're the creature. And so uh, what I have to say is very important and you ought to take heed to it. And again, you're, you're, we're living in such a, a uh, independent and, and uh, narcissistic society that who is your God that demands such worship uh, 24-7? And the answer is, well, if you were God, you would demand worship too. Uh, he is God. And God is to be worshipped. That's just a simple truth. And uh, he is, and they say, well, wasn't your God made? Everything, uh, every effect has a cause? Well, every effect has a cause except one. God is the uncaused creator. He's the only, he's the self-existent one. And there has to be a self-existent one for anything else to take effect. And so here he is, the self-existent one, saying, I am the Lord your God. And so, therefore, we take heed to these moral truths. And uh, every day, we're, we're seeking to, to uh, flesh, to unpack God's word, to know how we should obey him in all the intricacies and the uh, vicissitudes of life and all the interactions and... and uh, um, confrontations that we have. So a sampling of chapters 18 and 19. And uh, I, I'm sure we could quote the Ten Commandments and I'd like us to, number one, what's number one? Remember the first four are love for God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Look at chapter 18 and verse 2. I am the Lord your God. That's, and he says it 22 times. So that's really num commandment number one. He didn't say, I am the Lord your God plus Allah and plus Baal. And no, I am the Lord your God. And some people say, well, okay, he's the God of the Hebrews, but what about the other gods? Well, he showed he was the only God because all the other gods of the Canaanites and the Hittites couldn't defeat God when he came in and said, okay, it's time for my people to possess the land of Canaan. And what's number two? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image to worship, right? And it says in chapter 19 in verse 4, Turn ye not unto idols. 
So we already have number one and two. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Look at chapter 19 and verse 12. Thou shalt not profane the name of thy God. Profane means to make something special, um, ordinary. Like taking your, your beautiful uh, living room piece of furniture and using it as a chop block. You profane that piece of furniture. You, you make it common. It's, it's uh, special. It's unordinary. And God's name is not to be made ordinary and profane. Okay, uh, number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You have at least a couple times, chapter 19, verse 3, it says to uh, fear every man his mother and, and his father and keep my Sabbath. Interestingly, you have, what, what, how do they coordinate? How do they relate? Well, fearing our father and mother is the first of the last six commandments. And, and uh, keeping the Sabbath is the last of the first four. And so he's putting, the, he's putting it together as the Ten Commandments. Both are representative of each, each uh, um, table of the law. Number five... Honor thy father and thy mother. Look at verse 3 again. Fear ye every man his father and his mother. It says to fear. And that means, obviously, not this servile, um, um, ter you know, terrifying, but a respect that ought to be given toward parents. And, these, and parents, obviously, are represented. Every commandment is a category of many different um, applications. In other words, the Lord doesn't just say to honor your father and mother, but he means also you have political fathers. You have uh, instructional fathers, and so that would, that would apply to your, uh, to your boss and, and, and to respect those that are in, in authority. Number six, thou shalt not kill or murder. Um, verse 17 of chapter 19, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. Remember, Jesus said that hate is the motive for murder. And so the Lord not only commands the act not to be committed, but the motive behind the act. He commands the heart. And God knows the heart. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? And again, there are many, many truths underneath that um, command. Verse 20 of chapter 18, Thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife. And that's obviously adultery, but also it applies to verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. So homosexuality and bestiality and prostitution, all these things he, he reveals in these two chapters. They're all breaches of the seventh commandment dealing with immorality. Number eight, Okay, look at verse 11 of chapter 19. You shall not steal. Number 9, you have also in chapter 19, verse 11, neither shall neither lie one to another. And then number 10, some people find it hard to find thou shalt not covet in this chapter. Uh, but I think that verse 9 of chapter 19 deals with covetousness. It says, don't reap your fields entirely and don't take every grape from your vineyard. In other words, the Lord's saying, 
that the gleanings of your fields are for the poor and you're for your strangers. And so you might say, well, that's under the commandment, thou shalt not steal, which is true, but it's also a person that just wants to take everything off his field and leave none to the poor and the strangers, coveting what's not his, actually. It's the Lord's, because the tithe is the Lord's, and, the, and he says to, uh, to uh, make sure that you, you uh, leave gleanings. Remember Ruth, in the book of Ruth, uh, she was gleaning in the field of Boaz and, and uh, the poor folks and who had lost husbands and lost families and, and uh, did not have any, especially women in that society, did not have any wherewithal on their own. And uh, it was, they, they were dependent upon the gleanings of the fields and of the vineyards. And so again, we're, 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 we're told that these are moral laws and, and we're not saying this is Leviticus and this is Old Testament. He's not telling us to build altars and, and put animals uh, and burn animals. He's telling us to speak the truth. He's telling us to be generous. He's telling us to, uh, to be respectful. So these are moral laws in chapters 18 and 19. And what's the purpose today? Again, to remind us that these are, these are to be fulfilled by love, not by just... Uh, like we're robots, as if we're just going to do this because we're told to do this, but out of love for the Lord and out of love for our neighbor, we keep these, these uh, truths in mind. They direct our love. How can I love the Lord? How can I love my neighbor? And we're being given these instructions. And again, not only are there 22 times about, about I am the Lord or I am the Lord your God. Remember last week, over 70 times there's thou shalt not. Or don't do something. And it's kind of sad, isn't it, that the, t the eight of the Ten Commandments have to be thou shalt not? Why did the Lord not give us all the Ten Commandments like he gave two? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and honor your father and mother. Why did he put all the Ten Commandments in positive, in the precept form? Because we're in a fallen world. But remember, with every precept there's a prohibition. With every prohibition there's a precept. So there's always a positive and a negative. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me is a prohibition. But we have to look at it in the precept. You may have me as your God. You may have me alone as your God. That's a, isn't that special for the God of the universe to say, I want you to love me and obey me? The God of the universe, before whom we will all give account. Isn't that amazing love? condescension. He didn't need our love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from eternity past loved one another. They didn't need to create the angels and they didn't need to create man. Why did God create angels and create human beings? Out of his own good pleasure. That he might be the object of their love. Why did he create animals and birds and all kinds of creatures? It pleased him. Because he's a God who's an artist and a creator. And just so much of God's benevolence and, and God's generosity and kindness to give us all of the senses of our body and to give us so many creatures to enjoy. But yet there are 70 knots in 18 and 19. And he tells us, remember in this 
chap these chapters that many of these abominations were being committed by the nations that surround Israel. And he's saying, be careful. You don't allow these abominations to infiltrate the church, infiltrate your people. So he commands them not to commit incest. He commands them not to commit bestiality. He commands them not to delay paying wages to your employees. He commands them not to gossip. He commands them not to curse the deaf and the blind. You think, isn't that just human nature to never do anything like that? And yet he says that the, the nations around you committed these abominations. And you and I know that he's not just talking about the Egyptians and the Canaanites, but he's talking about Americans. This is universal application. And you would not, of course, everybody here knows and have heard from wicked abominations that take place in our land. God made man upright, but we sought out many inventions. And so there's bestiality in our land. There's incest. There's polygamy. There's homosexuality. There's, there's uh, all kinds of, of abominations that are committed. And the Lord is saying, I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be different than the nations that, you, that you're living in and that are surrounding you. I want people to see what my kingdom's like. My kingdom's a holy kingdom, a righteous kingdom, and what my kingdom's going to be like, like forever in eternity. The earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All the abominations will be in God's prison. All those that committed and never repented are, it's going to be gone. It's going to be outside the kingdom. Just like it says in Revelation, outside the gates are murderers and whoremongers and fornicators and liars. Outside. Isn't that a wonderful promise and a wonderful anticipation? And so the church is to be a microcosm of heaven. God's kingdom in heaven. What do we pray? Thy kingdom come or that thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. And so the church should be a microcosm of the church in heaven. And yet, by me being here, we, we, bring about, we still bring impurity. And we need daily to be cleansed. Even God's people, we need daily forgiveness. So I just wanted to choose just a select uh, few of these forgotten and neglected duties and perhaps acceptable and even overlooked sins that are tolerated in the church, let alone in the world, and just challenge us to be holy. And again, not to gain God's favor, and not to just willy-nilly make decisions on how we're going to show our love and how we're going to be obedient, but God gives us very specific ways. And so a couple in the first table of the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and and. Every year we need reminder, especially in our society. But we read in, in uh, chapters 18, 21, and 19, 12, Thou shalt not profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. So the Lord's name, first of all, we need to ask, what does it mean, the Lord's name? We often think of a name as just simply a proper name, you know, Joe or Peter. But in the scripture, the word name speaks of reputation. So it's more than, it includes the proper name, but it includes his attributes. What, uh, what is God's reputation? 
His names reveal his reputation. He's God, the all-powerful one, but his attributes reveal his, his reputation. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He's all-powerful. And so we ought to be careful when we use God's attributes we don't do it, or we don't make them ordinary, profane. You know, someone who catches a football and a touchdown says, I'm omnipotent, that I caught it with one hand. That would be profaning an attribute of God and his works. You know, how often we describe some, some feat, yeah, a feat of man. Okay, he built a skyscraper and they call it a miracle. Well, it's not a miracle. A miracle is, 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 is a work of God and not a work of man. So, so it's more extensive than we realize. But we all understand that when, when God tells us not to profane his name, we often hear it. And it's hard to live one day out in society without hearing OMG. It's abomination to God. It's taking God's holy name and putting it in the gutter, in the mud. And yet you hear it over and over and over again, in a, especially in a fit of rage or in a moment of surprise. I always cringe. I'm ready for God's name being taken in vain when someone's angry or when someone's surprised by an incident. Or a, and we have to be ready. And it's not that we're just firemen everywhere we go trying to put out fires, but to kindly say to someone, look, this is God's name that you're using improperly. And often it's, 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 they're, un, they're unconscious of it. We often, from the very get-go, we hear it in our homes. We, we hear it in our workplace. I hear it on the bus from little kids. They've just, they're just repeating what they heard. And slowly but surely we, we instruct Look, God's name is holy. Do you know there's a God in heaven who made the worlds? Would you take your mother's name and your father's name and use it that way? Or your spouse's name? No, we use, we use the names of our loved ones reverently and properly. And so it's another challenge, and I think of it especially with another school year upon us and bidding for a run this Tuesday and Loving the kids, taking 35 or 40 kids from the daycare to school and back. And, you know, one by one, trying to instruct the kids that there's a God in heaven who's holy and uh, that we ought to use his name carefully. It says in chapter 19, verse 14, to fear thy God, and verse 32 as well. Jesus tells us to fear him who can cast both soul and body into hell, and we ought to realize whose name that we're using when we take up his name upon our lips. Ecclesiastes 12 says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So may I encourage us to use God's name in a reverent, joyful worshipful way and try to help our friends and relatives that that use God's name in vain to remember God will not hold them guiltless that take it his name in vain and the second one is obviously uh, in this chapter he uses it twice to keep my Sabbaths and to reverence my sanctuary is associated with it in verse 30 of chapter 19 and you see the connection 
The Lord's Day is especially to be kept by, by being in public worship. Reverencing my sanctuary in verse 30 means to, to worship the Lord in the sanctuary in public worship. And as, as uh, Bonner in the 1800s said, that the street should not only be empty of commerce and business, but full of worshipers and those who praise God on the way to worship. You remember the days perhaps in the 60s or 70s where Sunday mornings were real quiet and normally the vehicles that were, were passing by and going down the road were on their way to church. Oh, that our streets on Sunday were full of vehicles heading to gospel churches. Lo, not so anymore, is it? The golf courses are full, the, the stores, the stadiums. God is holy, and he wants us to keep his day holy. You know, Adam was, when he, was, when he hadn't fallen, he was given the Sabbath day, not after the fall, before the fall. Even a sinless person needs time to worship God. And God gave us six to ourselves and one to him. And how special it is that you can find, you can find the day and the month and the year in creation, but you can't find the week in creation, the weeks in Scripture. God gave us the seven-day week, and the Sabbath is the one that keeps the rotation of the seventh day coming, day or week after week after week. I look at my life, if I live to be 70, I may not, I might not live to the end of this day, but if I live to be 70, we don't just look at it in decades. We look at it even in how many Sabbaths did we, did we get to live if we lived to be 70? I got a math to do. We're 70 times 52. But you look at your life and how many times you were able to have a Lord's Day. And again, so many people say, aren't you legalists? Do you call Chick-fil-A a legalist? The people who own Chick-fil-A? Do you call Hobby Lobby? because they feel that Sunday is the day of worship? Do you call Eric Liddell in 1924 because he wouldn't run in the Olympics on Sunday a legalist? You see, it's because we've forgotten days gone by. And now it's, we're living in the days of the judges. There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so it's... it's you're old-fashioned, and you are condemned as a legalist, but it's just scripture. It's just the truth, and it's not popular. It's not politically correct, but it's the word of God. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, Revelation chapter 1. I just give us food for thought, and remember that this day is despised and inconvenient if people think it's the Lord's day. And now we have just a few samplings at the second table to love our neighbors ourselves. And again, being the day in which it is in our sexual revolution, it says in chapter 18, verse 22, and chapter 20, verse 13, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is abomination. And people will say, well, that's the Old Testament, and they try to re rephrase it. But, you know, it's not just the Old Testament. Listen to these verses in the New Testament. Romans 1.27, 
men with men doing that which is unseemly. 1 Corinthians 6, abusers of themselves with mankind. 1 Timothy 1, defile, they defile themselves with mankind. And then Jude, verse 7, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah part, partly because they were going after strange flesh. That's New Testament. And so, this sexual revolution that says that we're going to do whatever we want to do, we have to remind them they're going to stand before God one day. And the Bible tells us, first of all, to take the beam from our eye, and then we can help people get the splinter from their eye. Isaiah 58 says, Show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sin. God doesn't change as far as the moral law is concerned. He made man male and female, and heterosexually, but monogamous. And God still calls not just homosexuality, but bestiality and polygamy. All these things are contrary to God's will. And God is sovereign. He tells us to be holy. And he says marriage is honorable. That is heterosexual. Marriage is honorable. And the bed undefiled, the whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. He says again, chapter 18, verse 27, For all these abominations have the men of this land done, and the land is vomiting them out because of the iniquity. Chapter 19, do I need to remind us to, to be merciful upon to the poor and those who are outcasts and outsiders of our society? How do we translate? How do we apply leave the corners of your fields and leave gleanings and leave some grapes for people? Thou shalt not steal, as if stealing from the Lord who gives a tithe of what we have to those who are in need. Like Ruth the Moabitess, she, she was the great-grandfather, the great-grandmother of David. And yet, Boaz showed her great kindness. Let's remember to, yes, carefully because people steal and people uh, deceive, but let's not forget the outcasts and outsiders, to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction, to make some visits in the nursing homes or in the prisons or down the road. Let's not forget the down and outers, the ones that are unfortunate. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is also goodness. The Bible tells us to steal no more, but to labor with our hands, not only to provide our own needs, but Ephesians 4 says to give to those that are in need. Think of an organization. You see the, the magazine out there. It's called COA. Come over and help us. Our brothers and sisters in the old uh, country, the old Soviet Union, many of them are in great need. And uh, just a gift here and there to certainly help, or even regularly. How could it be that God would have to command the Israelites, chapter 19 and verse 14, to not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind? And yet that practically happens today when we ignore, when we, when we uh, see people with, with these uh, difficulties as if, they're impediments to our pleasure and annoyances to our luxury. But we need to see them placed there by God 
humble us, to make us grateful that we have our eyes, our eyesight, and our and our hearing, and our tasting, and our speaking, that we can walk. So when we see a blind or person or an invalid, God is has put them there by His decree to remind us that we're to be merciful as He is merciful. That we're in a fallen world, and because of sin. We're, we're dying, we're aging, and God shows mercy to us, and we ought to show mercy to those that are in need. Chapter 19 and verse 16, I, can, I think is a respectable sin in our day, but every so often we need to remind ourselves to give up gossip. Look at chapter 19 and verse 16. It says that, uh, we are not to go up and down as a talebearer among our people. So that's a, a, a good text about not being a uh, herald of gossip. You know, like you, what is what is the what was the old newspaper person say? Hear ye or read ye, read ye all about it. What do they say? Uh, I forgot the expression, but uh, how often we say, "Hear ye, hear ye, hear all about it." <laughs> when we uh, want to take in the gossip and spread it around. Proverbs warns us that gossip's like uh, eating something that then upsets the stomach. The Bible tells us that rather we should cover all things and have the love that covers all things, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Remember when, when Noah committed sin after he left the ark and he, he uh, became a, he, he planted a vineyard, and the Bible tells us he got drunk. The Bible doesn't reveal that to mock Noah, but to remind us that even godly people fall. But remember, his youngest son noticed it, and he wanted to parade it outside and told his brothers, we're told. He wanted to, he wanted to gossip and slander and, and reveal the fall of his father. And what did, the, what did the two oldest sons do? The Bible tells us they took a garment and they went backwards into Noah's tent, their dad, and they covered it. They covered his sin, as it were. They covered his nakedness. They didn't want to spread it. It was embarrassing to Noah. And he repented of his sin, no doubt. But that's, what, that's how we're, to, we're not to want juicy knowledge. You know, it's, it's the principle, take all bad information up, not out. If you have to tell it, tell it to your dad, tell it to your mom, tell it to the elder if, if there's a problem in the church, whatever. It should all go up and up to God, but never out. And the Lord says, don't be a talebearer. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye all about it. And you normally hear, you know what's coming when you hear somebody say, did you hear what so-and-so did? <laughs> you know that that's coming. Something probably that shouldn't be told. I'm not saying we ought to hide things that should be told. You hear somebody say, can I tell you a secret? Well, the next thing you should say is, wait a minute, will I have to go to the police over it? Is it a secret I need to know? And so often we, we want to know it anyway. So God help us to be those that want to cover people's problems, seek to have their sins removed. Could I 
challenge us, chapter 19, verse 29, to protect our children. It says, do not prostitute your daughter. Now, how does that apply? Well, obviously, what it's saying is, don't prostitute your children, but there's more application than simply um, prostitution. Yes, don't do that, but there's also more practical or or day-to-day. Protect them from the predators of would-be companions. Parents ought to know uh, who their, our children are associating with. The Bible says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. It was curiosity that killed Dinah, as it were. Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land, and then the, the prince committed adultery with her. It was her, it was her it's like we say, curiosity kills the cat. And we all have curiosity, but we have to curb our curiosity. We have need to remind us there's a dangerous world out there and to protect our children. How often we're seeing this over and over and over again. Single you know, women are walking in trails in, into the woods and they're getting murdered. When are, we, have to, we have to help our, our neighbors and remind them, look, go with a partner. Go with a weapon. There are predators out there. Predators of the world are in, are, could be our neighbor in our schools, the internet, in our employment places, on cruises. We know someone who allowed their daughter to go on a cruise with their relatives, and she was violated, and she couldn't take it, and she committed suicide a few years later. We've got to protect our young ones. Protect, do all we can to avoid all appearance of evil. I try to be so careful with the kids. You know, little kids, they want to hug the bus driver. They, no, I'm not going to let that happen. You know, if I see them out there with their parent, I'll give them a fist bump. But you've got to be so careful. And the virtue of virginity is just gone. It's no longer a virtue. It should, it should be a, a goal for every parent that their child can wear white sincerely on their wedding day. But there's something even close to home. USA Today, last week, front page, told parents they need to they call them health kits. Get your health kits for your kid going to college and your kid going to high school. You can read it for yourself, but you know what part of that health kit was? You can all know it's contraceptives. And not just that, but tests for fentanyl. In other words, what they're saying is prepare your children for immorality. And I I understand that, that it could happen, and they want their children to be aware if there's a pregnancy or if there's danger in what they may have taken. But father and mother, why would you send them to a college that you know they're going to have predators all over? Aren't there other colleges where there'll be some some counselors, some some help, some some parents, some brothers and sisters that are their keepers? 
But this is what our land has come to, that you prepare your child for a fall. And yet, how often, like a neighbor has said, just be free. Again, flying in the face of God's word, and God's law, God's sovereignty. And I close with not, I hope you're not, and I'm not applying this, you think that this is just applied to me, but chapter 19, verse 32 says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I don't consider myself an old man. I consider somebody who's 99 with gray hair an old man. But you know, it's going to happen. If you're 99, you don't consider yourself an old man. You consider a 110-year-old. But again, do we have to remind ourselves to acquiesce to the aged? It is good to be gray, but so often we find that the gray head is not honored anymore in the aged and the, the old man. And I remind us that the Lord is sovereign. He says, I am the Lord. Did you notice that? Again, I am the Lord. He said, you're going to live in a society that is going to degenerate and the aged are no longer respected. When's the last time again you someone helped an old lady out of her vehicle or opened the door or just deferred a seat on the bus or just the last item in the grocery store. You want this? I don't need this today. Just to defer, to realize they're, they've lived a long time, they've learned a lot, they have, we can learn something from them, can't we? Just to sit down with them, see an older person on a bench and sit down and say, could you give me some advice? Could you tell me about your experience in life? Can I buy you a coffee and a donut? And just whatever it takes to, to show a respect. You see a, a veteran with a, a hat yesterday, right in the car, Vietnam hat. To thank a veteran for the time that they gave. To thank our dads and moms if they're still alive. Thank you for, for, the, for your instruction, for your love, for your patience, for your sacrifice. Thank you. You think we can all think of you know our dads and moms, and I think of my my poor mother having to drive me everywhere, you know, little league and school, you know, dad having to work his knuckles off to put me in private schools. God is saying these are my words and my ethics, my morals, my policies, my beliefs. I have sovereign. I'm sovereign over you. Obey me. Love me and obey me. This is not legalism, it's holiness. It's not antinomianism, but it's obedience to God's word. Yea, there are do's and don'ts, but they're all in the context of grace. They're all in the context of grace. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's grace. That's grace. He didn't say, I am the Lord your God, I'm going to put you in prison, do these things. I am the Lord you God, your God that took you out of the prison house of slavery. I'm the one that saved you. Now love me and obey me. Jesus, it said in Psalm 40, 
I delight to do thy will, thy laws within my heart. For Jesus, doing as a man, doing God's will, keeping his law, was a delight to him. It was out of love. He loved his Father. And I trust that, like Jesus, that obedience to God is because of love. And, 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 and obedience to God regarding our neighbor is out of love for them. And that we realize that we're not earning God's favor. We already have it if we trust Christ as Savior. He's granted to us salvation. It's a free gift. And we show our gratitude by loving him and loving our neighbor. And that our love is directed as he tells us to direct it. May God bless his word. Oh, Father, I thank you for the scriptures. We need your word. We live by your word. Pray that we would hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. But Lord, we do sin and we thank you that there is forgiveness with you, that the blood of Jesus, your son, cleanses us. Please, please, Lord, mature us and grow us. Help us to be more loving and more obedient, more reflecting our Savior, more ready for heaven, more useful on earth. Please glorify your name, Lord. And help us to live in such a way that people will see your name honored. That they will see that we serve a risen Savior, a holy God, a generous God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close this afternoon by singing number 128 from our black hymnals, What Grace is Mine.